This episode of True Consequences is brought to you by Wagner Spray Tech. Ask anyone who knows me and they will tell you that I am not handy at all. I will hire out anything that requires these skills because I know I will just mess it up. So I just had a wall installed in my backyard and it needed to be painted. I was dreading standing outside all day in the New Mexico summer heat. It sounded like a nightmare to me. Then I discovered the Flexio 3000 paint sprayer from Wagner. This thing is awesome. No more fumbling with messy rollers and brushes and it does it all. It's designed for painting or staining walls, furniture, cabinets, and more. The best part is it's 10 times faster than a brush. It can spray paints and stains right from the can. It gives you more control and less mess, and it's great for indoor and outdoor projects. My favorite part about all of this is that it only takes five minutes to clean it up. Honestly, you have to try this thing. It's made a believer out of me, and I actually had fun painting. Go to wagnerspraytech.com, get yourself a Flexio paint sprayer. I'm telling you, it's going to change your life. Use the link in the show notes to get your sprayer today. Hey listeners, if you're tuning into this show, one, you have good taste, and two, you might enjoy another show that we host called Death by Champagne, the podcast here to keep you up at night. I'm Mackenzie. And I'm Olivia. We have topics in all realms. From the reality of true crime to the depths of the occult, we have dozens of episodes to binge that range from hair-raising scares to infuriating miscarriages of justice. We've covered everything from the origins of Satan to the crimes of an unidentified serial killer in our hometown of St. Louis. Other episodes include tales of unsolved mysteries, murder investigations, disappearances, cold cases, hauntings, folklore, and people in history that are stranger than fiction. In Season 3, you can join us for a true crime book club, giving in-depth coverage on cases living in the darkest corners of our bookshelves. Our first multi-part series is on the crimes of Gary Ridgway, focusing on his family, victims, and survivors. So grab your cat keychain, surround yourself in a salt circle, lock your doors, and unlock that phone. Hail Satan! And pop some bottles. The Oracle Look deeper. This is True Consequences, a true crime and mystery podcast with stories based in New Mexico in the American Desert Southwest. I am so excited to have you here, Tierna. I think that uh, when I found out about your podcast, I got really excited. I've wanted to see more New Mexico podcasts, and and I know there's there's quite a few now. Yeah. Um. But but it just makes me really happy and really kind of full of the state pride to to see Mm -hmm. that we're starting to have different shows that are focused on the state and. And your show got me really excited because uh, being a true crime podcaster already and. you know, I did cover the West Mesa Bone Collector, probably not as good as you're going to do it or not as well as you're going to do it. But um, I was so I excited. Differently, you know, I mean, there's a couple of podcasts who have um, done it. They've just done it in a different way um, yeah. than really. I, I mean, obviously, no one's done a podcast that is only dedicated to it. Um, yeah. Usually the, the few times that a podcast has really ever covered it. I think there's one podcast that maybe devoted like two or three episodes to it. And it was years ago and they weren't from here. I don't know where they were doing it from, but they weren't from here. Um, You know, does like an episode on it Um, and, and for like the true crime podcast and stuff. And I just, you know, with a lot of the intimate knowledge that I have of the case and just working in media um, here for as long as I have, I, I knew that I could do a lot more with it and in a different way, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And, and I love podcasts. I've been loving them for so long. And I just thought this is the perfect thing that if I'm going to start doing podcasts, I want, this is the perfect case to start with. And I no. know that I can do 
at least nine or 10 episodes. And who knows, as I'm going through it, I might even be able to do more, but I know that I can do at least nine or 10 episodes in order to tell the story in the way that, that I want it to be told, at least for my work on it, you know? Sure. Well, I really respect the work that you've done so far. Thank you. Um, I'm not caught up. I haven't listened to the most current episode yet. Um, I'm ready to. I don't think I made myself any friends, but that's okay. (laughs) Well, that's, I'm probably making some enemies too with with my show. So it's okay. I have Uh, to tell you you that I I just listened um, to the episode that you did with your mom um, about your brother. And I was like, wow, that. I have to really commend you because I think that that took a lot of bravery to put yourself out that way. And, um, you know, just to tell the story the way that you did with your mom. And I want to give you, um, a lot of props for that. And I, you know, I, I can't imagine what you went through and are still going through and your mom, especially, you know, being a mother, but I, I'm glad that you put it out there and you did it in such a personal way, but it, could not have been easy. And I just kept thinking that the whole time. I was like, Oh my God, I think that was really brave of you to put yourself out there like that. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. It was a, it was a challenge. I think the buildup to it was more challenging than actually doing it. Uh-huh. Um, just because if we have all this, you know, emotional baggage right. as a family, but when my mom and I sat down and actually did it, there was some catharsis that happened yeah. and there was some healing that happened and it was really beautiful. And I feel like we're both in a better spot emotionally yeah. having yeah. done that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, I mean, I, I, so I don't know how you want this to go. I've never done a get vocal before. I think it's yeah. really cool and I want to do more of them. Um, I, I was going to ask you if, if you don't mind and if you, you know, sure. let me know whatever you want to talk about. But um, so I found yours. I think I was looking at, you know, when I was looking, searching true crime, New Mexico, like tags, you know, is mm-hmm. how I stumbled upon yours. Um, and I think it's a great name. It's very appropriate for anyone who's from here would be like, oh, yeah. I get it. Um, what made you, besides the fact that true crime is, you know, so popular and we have some of the most bizarre shit that happens here. So Super bizarre. I think <laughs> that it's really good, you know, just in, in working in news and stuff and you tell people and they're like, what? Like, yeah, I know, man. I I don't know. I don't know if it's the desert. I don't know if it's just New Mexico. I don't know. I have no idea. But I mean, yeah. it definitely warrants being able to do so many episodes on the weird shit that happens here. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah, why you I, decided to do it? Or why did you decide to do it? So there's a couple of, of reasons. Um, the first thing is I'm totally obsessed with the weird shit. Like I've always been that way since I was little. Yeah, I remember being in the library and like reading about UFOs and ghosts and murder and mafias and like all this yeah. crazy stuff and just being yeah. totally obsessed and I couldn't get enough of it. So that's always been there for me. Um, and I think that morbid curiosity kind of carried over into adulthood. Um, mm-hmm. But the primary kind of drive for this whole thing is to highlight some of the issues that we have here in New Mexico. Um, yeah. And 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 that starts with, you know, with me at home and, and being a, a family member of a victim who never received any kind of justice or even a day in court. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a problem here. And it's been a problem here for a long time. Yeah. And especially yeah. with as it pertains to children. So that motivation really pushed me to start start the show along with my obsession of all the weird shit, but, but primarily it comes from a place of really wanting to give a voice to victims, families who don't have a voice. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I, and I think that that's really awesome. And, and what is your background? Uh, as in like, uh, education and but how did you, well, no, how did you get into podcasting in general? So I, I'm not a journalist. I'm not like you. I'm not a journalist. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, a lot of, a lot of podcasts. Yeah. So I'm always curious, like how, you know, people get into Yeah. It. So I've always liked podcasts. Um, even before the, yeah. they got really popular, I was, I was into them and I just feel like it's a really good medium. Plus I'm super self-conscious about being on video. So this is really awkward for me. Yeah. <laughs> so I figured if I could just yeah. do my voice, then that would be cool. Yeah. yeah I know you've got a good podcast. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, you know, I, what, I think that's one of the things that I really love about the podcasting medium. 
Um, even more so just having worked in commercial news is I love the independence of mm -hmm. it. Um, you know, as with anything, if anyone can do it, you have some really good stuff along with some not so great stuff. Um, but I feel like it's such a great medium for people who uh, are just starting out or have a really good idea or whatever, and they don't have to worry so much about like, well, am I going to be able to say this? Or what if the people I work for don't want me to say it this way or whatever, you know, like when you work in commercial news, it's extremely restrictive. And, you know, when all this stuff happened in 2009, like if my news director didn't want to do a story, we didn't do it. That's it. Yeah. And honestly, until they started finding the bones, nobody wanted to do this story. Nobody did. And, and I talk about that a lot when Maggie Shepard, who was the newspaper journalist who covered in uh, 2007, um, all of the women that we know of, mm -hmm. totally that we know of, um, who were being looked for um, by a few detectives, you know, she did this story and literally no one did anything with it. She didn't even do anything with it herself after that. And I talked to her about that in the second episode and, you know, why didn't you follow up and why, you know, whatever, did you not have support? And she definitely had support, but there just wasn't really much to say because it was still nothing. We still haven't found anything. No, we don't know where they are. No, you know, whatever. And, and, and it never really turned into a big thing with APD either. It wasn't like they put a big uh, task force together. Um, they, it was still just the same detective looking for her girls and, and I understand that, you know, especially in commercial newsland, that's not very sexy, sure. honestly. Um, and that the idea that if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a million other things that are going on rather than a group of women who a lot of people were able to dismiss as just prostitutes. And it's like, nobody really cared. Nobody really wanted to do anything with it. And I, I think that that's extremely sad. And I, I think that what a disservice to those women. And I'm not saying that maybe anything more could, could have happened or we could have caught the guy or anything like that. I just think that, you know, I just feel like they deserved a lot more than one story, one time yeah. in a period of seven years that they all went missing. Yeah. And I, yeah. I would not be surprised if there's quite a few more women than just the original 17 um, that could be anywhere out on the Mesa, honestly. Well, yeah. And for the people that are not from here, you know, they, it may be hard for them to understand how expansive this area is yeah. and how desolate. Yeah. And even though they're building houses and developments and everything around there, there's still so much open space to, to think that maybe there could be additional burial grounds is scary. Um, to say the least, I think. Well, and the big thing too, and, you know, even um, the lieutenant who I was talking to, you know, he even absolutely admitted that they could already have been, you know, um, built on top of already, Yeah. you know, either before 2009 or since. I mean, the thing is, is you can't, it's a tough, it, you know, it's a double-edged sword because it's like you have this gigantic hundreds of miles and you just, because I, I'm sure not even just with these girls, yeah. with anything, Native American or any, you know, bones, you're not going to dig up hundreds of miles just in case someone buried somebody out there. Like, what you know what I mean? What do you do? And so the chances are that some of these girls are, you know, do have a house built on top of them is it's macabre. I know, but it's reality. It's possible. And the yeah. only reason that these bones were found in the first place is because of all that construction, digging them up and tamping it down and digging it up. And then because construction stopped because of the economy crashing, yeah. someone was able to find it. But if they hadn't have done that, now, granted, whoever buried them didn't bury them very deep, but it doesn't really matter. You know, I mean, if they're three feet deep 
at, you know, if they hadn't been digging things up with these backhoes, getting it ready to build a house, they very easily could not have been found for a very long time or ever. Yeah. And who knows, you know, if there were remains that were damaged during the process of, of building yeah. some of those houses out there uh, and, yeah. and how many of those, you know, if there were any remains that were just buried and, and hidden because of that, you know, as they're getting run over by a backhoe or, or something like that. That's. Have you ever been out there? Mm-hmm to that specific yeah. site. Yeah. It's really, it's very surreal. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know that they're building the little one acre park, mm-hmm. uh, there, um, as a memorial and, um, but there's still like, like 98 acres that are just open there. Um, I heard somebody, I want to say, so I talked to city councilor Clarissa Pena um, that district is her area and she's been spearheading that memorial park to be built. And I talked to her and I asked her, you know, who owned the land, if it was still KB homes and it is, they plan on building more homes over that area. Really? Yeah. Because their contention, you know, in conjunction with APD is that they have done their due diligence in waiting for 11 years and APD has not been able to find any other remains and the city has built a memorial park. So they're honoring them. Ugh. And, um, you know, it's a hundred acres of land that they own that essentially they can't do anything with. And they've been building all the way around it. And so there's this hundred acre land that, you know, is just sitting there that is becoming more and more valuable as um, expansion of the city moves west in that direction. And um, I haven't been able to talk to anyone from KB. I mean, they're pretty corporate and they don't have a headquarters here or anything like that. And I don't, I don't see them just readily coming out and admitting, yeah, we're going to go ahead and start construction. But I talked to the city councilor and she said, you know, once they built the Memorial Park and they've been working with APD to make sure that they can't find any other bones. And, you know, it's been 11 years. And if KB wants to build on top of it, it's technically their land. And I was like, like what? Holy can cow. you imagine? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine buying a house out oh. there like on that land? Like, I, I don't know. I just just even knowing that, like, I, why would you want to buy a house there? Why would you want to build on top of it? But why would you want to buy a house there? Yeah, I agree with Melanie. Melanie on the chat said that that is mind blowing. I, I agree. Yeah. I, can, I can't imagine I wouldn't buy a house there. I mean, I'm kind of like a, a Northeast snob, you know, like, <laughs> I'm like I don't yeah, cross, me too. Oh, me too. I don't yeah, cross the too. river. I mean, <laughs> no, I know. I mean, I, when I drove out there, I was like, oh my God, this is so far yeah. out here. This is so far out here. And it looks a lot different because I, I think the last time I went out there was about six months ago. Um, and it looks a lot different than it did in 2009 because, again, it is extremely built up. There's like a stadium that's out yeah. there. There's more schools that are out there. Yep. There's so many more neighborhoods built up all the way around it than there were 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, I even think you know, the houses that are directly right across the street from it, Mm -hmm. like knowing that that's like right out your back door, that that's just what you're looking at all the time. Oh my God. It's just like bad juju everywhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I totally think it's like, I don't, I just, that's not, I would never have a part in that. I don't understand why, you know, I don't know. I don't really get it. Um, it seems like it's something that they shouldn't be able to do, but I mean, they own the land and is, and it's not, it's not considered to be an active crime scene anymore. Um, because they've found the bones that they say they found all the bones that they say they can find in that area. And since it's not an active crime scene anymore, KB can build over it if they want to. Do you know if APD, APDs use like ground penetrating radar or anything like that in that area? So they, yeah, they say that they have and they say that they continually do like um, they'll do flyovers. And if they see like a ground that looks disturbed in, in an unnatural way, um, then uh, they will. They did it um, last December. So no, so December of 2018 was the last time um, that they let me know that they did that. Um, and they said it turned out to be nothing. 
Uh, but at the same time, they don't own that equipment themselves. It's like a million dollar piece of equipment. So they have to borrow it or lease it each time. So they have to make sure that it's worth it each time they do it. Cause it's not like they just have it at their disposal right? and they can't justify buying that right now. Um, you know, so they can't just go around checking every little part that looks like it's like a weirdly disturbed piece of, um, of, uh, earth there. So it's tough. I mean, they're in a tough spot, you know, because they know that there's more women out there. They absolutely know. Um, but they don't know where to look. Mm. Probably they're out there on the Mesa where, I mean, it's so such a vast landscape. It's so big. And you have, you don't have any real suspects at the end of the day. They don't have any real suspects. No one is coming forward, trying to talk. No witnesses come forward. They don't have anything. So if you don't have anyone who is pointing you in the direction of any specific place to look, you're left with just hundreds of miles. I mean, chances are they're probably not a hundred miles away since right. they were so close to the city before. But if they're not built on top of, they're probably not that far away, maybe within like a 20 mile radius, um, seeing as how close they were before, how close together they were before, but also how close to the city they were. And it's different. It, it depends on who you talk to, because so the newest episode that I just did that I put out this Sunday, I talked to an ex-APD sergeant. He's now a lawyer. And uh, he was working during that time. He didn't work on the case, but he worked. Um, he was on APD at the time and he had a lot of friends who worked on the case. Um, he and he says he does not actually feel that it's one person. Mm. Um, he thinks that it's multiple people. Multiple people. Yeah. So more than two. Yeah, that's what he believes. Wow. And he was a sergeant with APD for eight years. Holy cow. Um, well, I don't know if like a group of friends, Lizard, maybe, um, maybe more so less of a group of friends, but possibly more a group of um, people who may have other connections <laughs> that we don't know about. Oh. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. You're blowing my mind a little bit. <laughs> I, you know, he said it. He said it. And I put it out there. Oh, and I know. Out. I know, right? And so, um, no. And he doesn't mean like a cult or anything like that. Um, you know, he talks about this. And, and I'm going to do a more expansive interview that I put out on Patreon with him or Patreon. I've heard different people say it different ways. Um, <laughs> but um, he believes uh, for a number of reasons that there is and has existed for a very long time. He kept calling it a third rail. Basically, yeah. people in power, whether it's politics or government or people with money, or both, who um, have a lot of connections and may utilize the services of women. My and face is melting. <laughs> they believe are expendable. Oh my God. And there you go. Oh, I don't, I, there's no, I can't, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And he said it all on the record. I was like, are you sure you, he's like, what do I have to be afraid of? I don't have anything to be afraid of. He's like, let him come get me. And I was like, oh, I'm all right, man. You guys, okay. I mean, this is, I mean, it, it, I know this, this everybody, know, I mean, honestly, let's be real. Like, would it ever surprise you that, you know, like some judge high up or some politician high up who was into escorts or who was into drugs or whatever, use the services of any one of these women or, you know, had connections with the women, you know, who the women worked for or anything like that. And maybe some of these girls were used as mules or whatever. And then you're expendable, right? Because they know that no one is going to go looking for you. They're just not, they're not going to go looking for you. Wow. And some of the families did, but you know, you don't have a lot of support because the minute that 
they look up, you know, the criminal background of some of these girls, they go, well, you know, they're not under 18. Um, they're living a transient lifestyle. Uh, some of them, you don't exactly know when she went missing. Maybe she went missing two weeks ago it was the last time anybody saw her. That doesn't mean that she's dead. That doesn't, you know, or, or a number of things. And that's what makes it really hard to track down a lot of things with this case is that there are two women that have an actual date attached to the time that they went missing. Two of them. The last time that their family saw them and they have an actual date. They don't know if that's when they were killed they have an actual date of the last time that anyone saw them. The rest of them, there is no date attached to it. So it's more like they went missing in the month of. Right. Or the last time they were seen was around this area sometime in this year. And when you have a population that you are utilizing or targeting, whoever's doing it, whether they're targeting them, or they're utilizing their services however possible. When you know that, it makes it a lot easier to get away with stuff like this. Who's going to come out? Like her friends? Really? Her friends are going to go to the cops and say, you know, my friend, the last time not. I went, I, I saw her was this time. Well, they may not remember the last time they saw her. They may not think that there was anything weird going on until they didn't see her for a month or something like that. So when you don't have an actual day or time when someone goes missing and you don't really know who they were with at that time, it makes it very hard to track down any one person that could have done this. Oh my God. You just blew my mind. I, <laughs> And that Sorry if it's a mind. little dark. It's getting dark here, so I've got like That's okay. one light on. In <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Uh, but, you know, when you put it like that, it, it makes a lot of sense. And yeah. I never thought of it that way, mm -hmm. but I could totally see how that could happen. And I could see how that could happen here more so than maybe other places just because of all the stuff I'm learning about what happens here. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't want to say his name. I don't want to slander anybody and get myself in a lot of trouble. Cause obviously I don't have sure. insurance on my podcast. If someone were to come after me, 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 but, um, Oh, I'd have to look it up. There was a judge in 2007, 2008 who frequented uh, ladies who worked on the street and, mm -hmm. oh, I remember he kept getting into trouble. Um, he was removed from the, from the bench, but he was, I think he was a district judge, district court judge. Um, and he lived down in the country club area. Um, and I remember we covered it because one night he had kidnapped a woman that he had hired and, um, he was physically abusing her. And she, he had kept, he like locked her in the house. And the only reason that um, anyone knew about it was because she was trying to jump out of the second floor window and was like screaming at the neighbors to call the cops. And he was a judge. And, um, and the same judge, you know, like had gotten in trouble because he uh, got pulled over at a roadblock. He had tried to run away from the roadblock. And he had a woman in the car with him also. And he they had blow everywhere all over the car and everything like that. And this same judge. So, you know, it is not just stuff that's in the movies. And it is not, it's not just unique to New Mexico because, you know, with money and power. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, so if you were to tell me, I'm not saying that yeah. this guy had anything to do with it. But if you were to tell me that there was a lot of people who were into this same kind of stuff and, you know, did whatever was necessary to make sure that nobody talked about it, if anyone knew about it, that would not surprise me at all. It wouldn't surprise me either, um, but it, it just never crossed my mind at, yeah. at all. And so that just kind of blew me away for a second. So I, I was, I was shocked. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. And I don't know if he's right or not. I mean, I'm, I'm not a cop and... 
I, you know, I'm not a detective or anything, but I, I find it really interesting that a detective on that force really believes that. Cause I asked him, I said, you know, do you think it was any of the two people who are persons of interest who've never moved beyond persons of interest to actual suspects? Right. Do you think that it could be them? And he was like, no, really? I don't think it was them. No. And you know, it's really funny because I know no cop who's actually a cop right now is going to tell you on the record, yeah, I think it's this guy or that guy. And I've heard so many different people think it's definitely Blair or it's definitely Montoya or whatever. There's, I have not met, I, I don't, I don't know enough people who all agree on one person. And I've met several people who don't think it's either one of those guys. And I think when you have something that's 11 years now down the road, there's no new breaks in the case. You can't actually get enough evidence to make the two people that you have even move on to actually be a suspect, nor do you get in anything that really concretely points to anybody else's being a suspect, even though they say they get hundreds of tips a year. Well, where's that going? You know what I mean? Right. It's just sort of like, if that person is alive, they're not talking or they don't live here or it's not one person. Those are all very good points. Yeah. So what? Yeah. So what's your connection to this case aside from the fact that you know you felt like it wasn't being told properly and that these women weren't being honored properly? What what else drove you to do this uh, show that you've created? Um. Well, I really love podcasts, and I wanted to be able to do a podcast on. Um, something that I was really passionate about, but that I felt like that I could really sink my teeth into um, journalistically and was something that I knew enough about that I could really start working with people that I knew who had connections. Um, and um, I have a friend who's a private investigator that I work with a lot on things like this. And she used to be a journalist as well. And so she's been helping me a lot because she covered this case and she knows a lot of players. Um, and so I wanted to be able to do it in a way um, that I could really, you know, be proud of journalistically. Um, mm -hmm. But also what I really love about podcasts is just the independence of it. Cause again, working in commercial news, you don't, you are told by somebody else what the story is. Yeah. And, um, I, that's why I don't work in commercial news anymore. <laughs> and I, and I work for an independent newspaper because I think that, um, I think that there's a lot of stories to be told out that, that are not covered by commercial news. And I think that this is the perfect medium to be able to do that. Awesome. Yeah. I I just, I'm a big fan of your work. So I had to say that out loud. Um, you know, do you have plans to do more beyond uh, this podcast? Like other cases? Yeah. Or? You know, now that I, I'm, I feel like I'm getting better at it and it's getting easier. Um, you know, I've been kind of exploring different ideas. I had this one idea and I've been wanting to do it forever. I wanted to do a coffee table book and that just didn't happen because I had kids and I just, I don't have time. Um, and then I thought, well, I could do a podcast on it. And I woke up and I had the name and everything and I Googled it to make sure that nobody else had it. And of course, somebody had already done it and had the same name that I did. So it wasn't that original. But I wanted to do something on ghost towns and really tell the story of the ghost town, like go there and talk to anybody who's still living there. And because I think ghost towns have a really fascinating history and yeah. anyone who like, you know, like Mogion or something, there's like 12 people who live there. Mm -hmm. And I went there several times when I was a kid and I stayed there once in a cabin. It was like the creepiest thing ever. But it's like cool, like it's a cool creepy. And I kind of want to talk to you like, why are you one of 12 people who still lives in this place? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think that's really cool. And I was like, I'm going to call it Ghost Town. And then I can do so many things. Well, there's already a podcast that does that. So um, I'm thinking of different ideas. And I don't know. I don't know if it'll be true crime or not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think that the Southwest... Um, 
and obviously specifically New Mexico, there's just such a wealth of stories to be told here. Um, and so it'll, it'll be focused on that cool. um, to a degree. And I, I just don't know yet what that'll be, but you know, I mean, I'm a storyteller and I think there's so I I'm fascinated by other people's stories and I, you know, think that this is a great medium to give people a voice. And so yeah. I, I want to keep being able to do that if I can. That's awesome. So what's, did you learn anything that you didn't know before? Like, I know that you learned from that uh, APD officer. The, the yeah, right, detective. that it could be multiple people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I never, um, so there's also an episode that hasn't come out yet. Um, I talked to a professor from UNM who studies the way that serial killers communicate. And, oh, you know, I mean, it makes sense when you really think about it, but it was another thing I never really thought about. Um, he was just talking about the, the, one of the reasons why this case is so weird um, and different than a lot of other serial um, killer murder cases. And he also didn't think that it was one person. So really, yeah, but for this, for a different reason, um, he said, what makes this case so hard to solve and will continue to make this case so hard to solve and why he doesn't think it was just one person is um, no one has ever tried to communicate. They've never reached out to cops. Mm -hmm. uh, they've never reached out to the media. They've never left clues. They've never tried to guess who I am kind of thing or see if you can catch me or anything like that. So it's not a traditional serial murder case in that sense of um, he was saying something that he's, you know, he teaches communications at UNM and um, he, I think vice and, you know, ABC and a couple of other people had, um, interviewed him, you know, years ago about this case, just because they knew that he had done, he had studied serial killers and stuff. But he was telling me that he had reviewed like hundreds of serial murder cases. And this is one of the handful of out of hundreds that he had studied where there was zero communication from the person who was doing the killing with either the media or the cops or, you know, anything like that, D that um, usually if it's a serial killer, they want to engage because they want to try to prove how smart they are. Like you can't catch me or I can keep doing this and you can't do anything about it. Um, or they want to get caught really in the end, they want to get right. caught. And none of that has ever happened with this case. There's no clues. There's no, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing. Yeah, and the two people that they have, one guy's dead. So there's nothing right. they can do about it now. Um, but there's no clues for him either. It's all circumstantial. And then the other guy who is in jail for a number of other heinous crimes, he is adamantly saying that he didn't do it. And they don't have anything that really, other than circumstantial stuff, they don't have anything that really points to the fact that, yeah, he did it either. So, so do you think that the person or persons responsible yeah. Yeah. are still doing this? I don't think they're doing it here. Okay. I think if they are here, I think that they've stopped. Uh, I don't, or they've stopped for a little while. I don't think that it's someone who's transient though. I do think that it is someone or some people who are here. Um, and I think that they or that person has stopped for now. Yeah. Uh, it's just such a spooky, right? <laughs> horrible case. And, and I just feel so yeah. bad for, for the families yeah. of, of these women and, and for the women themselves, you know, just yeah. the way they were treated in the, from the police department to the media, to whatever, just being kind of like forgotten and, and, and dismissed just because of the fact that they were sex workers is um, well, and actually not all of them were not. All, um, I know not all of them were. Yeah. yeah sorry. Not all of them were, um, but there was a runaway yes, teen. The majority, and, there was a runaway yeah. teen. She, no, she had a history of prostitution as well, but she was a runaway teen, but there was one girl. Um, she was 15 and she had no history of anything. She happened to be with her cousin and that was it. 
wrong place, wrong time. That's uh, it. Yeah. But the majority of the, of the women were, were largely just discounted, right? Because of, yeah. of their lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. And who's ever doing it knows that, knows that, that, or thinks of that person as being expendable for that reason. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but for a long time, they were right in that. I'm not saying those people were expendable. That but was mentality. The, the mentality was these people were expendable. And so it went on for a very long time. That not, was the mentality much longer for a long than time. it ever should have. Yeah. Um, had these women been anybody different. Yeah. Like had it been a, a rich socialite um, that was not missing, even just a rich a socialite. If it had been anybody in my group of friends and we're nobodies, but if it had been, can you imagine 11 women that, you know, personally that, you know, 11 women that, you know, go missing over a span of six, seven years and you don't really hear anything about it. And very few people in the police department really pay attention to you. And you don't hear anything about it in the media. And you, nobody, you know, is talking about it and no one's saying, Oh my God, did you hear? Or, Oh my God, what happened to this woman? Oh, uh, you know, and uh, isn't this weird? There's 11 women going missing. There's gotta be something going on here in six years, 11 women that, you know, have gone missing. That would not happen. No, it just wouldn't. It would not happen. It wouldn't happen beyond one or two women. It would never happen with 11 women. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. Yeah. So lizard, I'm not sure if I understand this question. So what place would be ideal for that lifestyle outside of the Mesa? What, what lifestyle are you talking about? Sex work? No, that, that's the oldest profession. Murdering. Um, what I'm saying is, is she oh. said that, um, you know, if they are still out there, they're probably, and, um, this is probably a, a poor so, poor word oh. choice because I am a teacher, so my profession is a practice, and it's never been um. Uh -huh. Como se dice? There's no like definite way of doing it. Same as what these people, predators, if you will, are doing to people. So if yeah. they're not practicing yeah. this lifestyle in the mesa, you said they could possibly be out there doing it somewhere else. What do you think would be their ideal hunting grounds? Oh, I think that they're definitely going after women like this. Just maybe somebody somewhere else. I don't and, think and that they're. The I don't, I don't think else. that they are targeting women in a different uh, social class or um, in a different part of town with a different lifestyle. I don't think that they're targeting, or even in a different city. I I think that um, they're very specifically either targeting or these women happen to be a byproduct of a lifestyle or a group of people who are part of a lifestyle. And these women are a byproduct that need to be get rid gotten rid of. Disposed of. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think that the, the idea that, you know, maybe their burial ground moved is, mm -hmm. is something, you know, I, I do think that maybe hopefully, I don't know, this is yeah. just me hoping yeah. that maybe if if the number of women that have went missing then started to go missing now that hopefully they would pay more attention to that um, i mean you would hope there's a lot of things that are in place right now that were not back then um one of the things is safe street um is an organization that exists now and it is right in the middle of where most of these women frequented um or maybe went missing it's like is that the one that cynthia v hill started she's part of it um, yeah yeah she's part of it and um she from the toy box murders yeah yeah um so she's part of it and it's a very tiny tiny nonprofit that basically has no budget they have a very very small office and um they're right at wyoming and central um so they're right in the middle of it and they put out a bad guy list every week um, yep, they I've pass it around to the women. They put it on their website. They're trying to be more proactive. And they came out of this whole case. Their whole yeah. organization came out of this whole case because they felt like nobody was paying attention. And they weren't. Nobody was paying attention. Um, and so they felt like somebody needed to do something to 
give these women a voice, but also to let them know that somebody's paying attention. And I think that the work that they're doing is amazing and it's really commendable. And, um, and I think, you know, I would love to believe that the police department is being more vigilant because I don't think that they could handle another PR. Yeah. I would love to say that it's more than a PR move, but I, you know, I know better. Um, I don't think that they could handle it. I don't care who the women are. I don't think they could handle another PR nightmare of like, Hey, look how many more women went missing and you still didn't pay attention. And it already happened yeah. once before. I don't think that they could handle something like that. So I think that they are trying to be more vigilant. Um, I, you know, that's, that's kind of yeah. it. Yeah. I think they're trying to be more vigilant. I think that they're trying to work with groups like safe street. I think that they are trying to do more outreach. Um, however possible, you know, I think it also depends on who the administration is, whether, you know, the administration who happens to run the city at the time feels like they want a certain type of policing, like community policing, um, or, you know, because one of the big problems that women who are sex workers, whether it was then or now, and again, you know, I, I, I talked to the lieutenant about this, is that, okay, I'm, I'm, on the street and I'm a sex worker and I've been beaten up and I've been raped. But if I go to you, what are you going to do? Are you going to arrest me? Because I know what I right. just did was illegal, but I don't feel like there's anybody to listen to me. And I feel like I can't tell you because I'm scared. I'm scared that he's going to come after me. I'm scared. You won't believe me. And I'm scared that you are, I'm going to get in trouble too. And so I just don't tell anybody. And um, they're trying to be better about that. And so I'll give them, you know, props for that. They recognize that that was definitely, that is a fear. Um, mm -hmm. I would not say that they are a hundred percent better, but I would say that they're working on it. And what he told me is he's like, well, if you look at it this way, prostitution is a misdemeanor charge. Rape and battery is a felony. So we have to take one and say, okay, this is a misdemeanor, but we're willing to let this go because we have to go after someone who's committing felonies, you know? And I said, well, good. I mean, I'm glad, That's but good. you know, I'm, is that a hundred percent? No. I mean, they still are arresting women on the streets anyway. Um, so there sure. is and still a fear of cops out there. And that probably depends on the officer too, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. hundred percent. If an officer has a bias against that, you know, type of profession, then they may yes. react differently to somebody who totally. is more. I mean, if you're a cop and you arrest a woman who's a sex worker, you're not going to get in trouble for it. Um, right. Now, if that woman comes up to you and looks like she's been um, that you can see, I mean, what if she's been raped and you can't see? Right. And he says, well, no, I haven't. Let, let's say that the guy is there or whatever. I mean, you know, that's what one of the things that had happened with Lorenzo Montoya and, you know, he had been followed by cops to um, the airport near the Sunport and he had picked up a woman on Central. They followed them to the Sunport and he had been trying to strangle her and um, when the cop came up to the car. And he'd been trying to strangle her and he had hit her several times, you know, and I mean, he was arrested for it, but nothing ever happened to him as a result of it. You know, I mean, he didn't serve any jail time. He didn't, you know, whatever. And the cop was there and saw it happening and followed them and sat in his car and watched and then didn't go up to the car for a while to catch them in the act because he was trying to catch both of them, you know? So again, you know, I understand that sex work is not legal here. I get that. But at the same time, if you create a culture of fear that women feel like they can't report when things happen to them, you know, you're also going to, to add to that um, idea that nobody cares what happens to me, you know, and that I am expendable. And you also give more validity to the predator in thinking that those women are more expendable and that nobody cares, you know, and nobody yeah, it, will it, listen to you if you tell them anyway. It empowers and emboldens the horrible shitbags that do stuff like this yep. to feel like they can continue to do it without any kind of repercussion. And it's disgusting to me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. Uh, lizard, which is the lesser of two evils. I mean, I mean, in my mind, I, I don't, I personally think that sex work should be legal. I understand that a lot of people don't feel that way. Um, I personally think that sex work should be legal, but also I think that, um, I, I, I think if it is going to be a misdemeanor, then you have to be willing to hear her out when she says there's a predator out there. For sure. For sure. And, and I think that goes for any victim of sexual assault or assault, physical assault, like yeah. fucking believe victims, believe, believe victims and believe survivors. Yeah, absolutely. Please. Cause you know what? A lot of these women, I don't want to say the only reason that they're on the street um, and I don't know what the statistics are, but I've seen a little bit of S FBI stuff. A lot of these women, in fact, the greater majority of these women have already been sexually abused at one point in their life anyway. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure that's a high statistic there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Women trying to survive. Yeah. Anybody trying to survive. It's yeah. yeah. I, I agree with you, Lizard. So, okay. uh, so we only have three minutes now. Okay. I want you to take some time to talk about your show, talk about where people can find your show and yeah. more information and, yeah. and all that stuff. Because uh, first of all, I just want to thank you for the work you're doing because Thanks. I think it's really important. And I'm, I'm glad that somebody can dive in as deeply as you have. And I'm excited to see all the other episodes or listen to all the other episodes come out, but give a little plug for your show. Yeah. Talk about where people can find you, Patreon, all that stuff. So I'm at patreon.com slash the Mesa. Everything that I have is the Mesa. So Facebook, Twitter, everything is the Mesa. Super easy to remember. Um, and um, the podcast is on pretty much, I think, almost any platform that you can, you know, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, um, anything really. Um, it, or you can go to anchor.fm slash the Mesa. Um, but yeah, at Patreon, I have longer format interviews that are uncut with people who I personally think have a lot of really interesting insights that just can get kind of long and winded and are harder to include so much of what they say, um, but are still valid. And, and I think it's good to get the information out there. So I'll be putting up more of those actually, um, in the next coming weeks. Got a lot of time what's, on my hands now. <laughs> <laughs> what's the minimum uh, donation monthly for Patreon? Three dollars. So for only three dollars, you can get for access to unedited. Three dollars. <laughs> the price of one coffee mm, yeah, a month. Well, one just a regular coffee, coffee with no flavor or anything. Yeah, just like a regular that. coffee. Yeah, just regular coffee. Just regular coffee. Uh, uh, you can yeah. you can have access to all this cool yeah. content. Uh, I think I might have to join because I'm fascinated. Yay! I'll join <laughs> you too. Yeah, yeah. Keep up your good work. I think you're doing a lot of really cool stuff. Oh, thank you, Tierna. Uh, but yeah, go <laughs> listen to the Mesa. It's an awesome show. Thank you. Uh, they're short episodes, so you don't have to really commit like you do with my show. You can actually, you know, 20 minutes is at the most. Sometimes yeah. they're 15. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of good information in those short episodes. So uh, go check it out. Yeah. Thank you. What do you have to lose? Yeah. Thanks, definitely. Tierna. Absolutely. Thanks. Have a good uh, night. Thanks again for listening to True Consequences. Follow us on social media on Instagram and Facebook at True Consequences Pod and on Twitter at True Cons Pod. True Consequences is hosted, written, and produced by me, your host, Eric Carter-Landine. Thanks for listening and stay safe, New Mexico.